I've called this um, topical sermon this morning, Chewing on the Bread of Life. And it's about um, Christian meditation. How do we meditate as believers? So let's just read through Psalm 1, verse 1 to 2, and it will give you a little clue of where I'm heading. Psalm 1, verse 1 to 2. I'll read from the ESV this time. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We're going to look specifically at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. You know, the curse of our age is this little phrase, too little time. Even in uh, Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland, we have the white rabbit with his big clock come running around and bolting down the hole saying, I'm late, I'm late. And yet we've got the same 24-hour day. Over time, since the creation of time, way back in Genesis, now the quantum physicists are probably going to say, mm -hmm, hang on, Calvin, it's a few milliseconds here. But time hasn't changed essentially. We've still got the same 24-hour day broken down into its minutes and seconds. So something else has changed. I suspect it's the pace of our feet underneath, the, the, the speed with which we run, everything we're trying to get through. And so what do we do to compensate for this? We drink energy drinks, because I need to go faster, right? And then I'm going too fast, so I need a few pulls, so I can slow down again. I can't sleep, so I need a few more pulls. And then I'm so stressed about all this, I need a few more for those too. So I kind of compensate by all these things I put into my body. Those who do a lot of research on amazing topics say that our speaking tempo has increased over the years. So where we used to speak at 110 to 140 words per minute. That has now increased to 190 to 210 words a minute. Now, any of you listen to the radio? Um, I listen to Mike Hoskin for my sins, but... Um, he, he speaks so fast, you've got to really listen to what he's saying, because it's gone. And I've got a lot of visitors who come through my bed and breakfast now, and a lot of the American visitors specifically, they speak ten to the dozen. You have to really just slow them down. Americans, eh? True. And so those who are doing the research say that we're all speaking faster to get more into our time. And somehow the more we are speaking, the less we are saying. And there's just an emptiness and a noise. 
Look at our multimedia. Those text messages we keep sending that we feel we have to send now. What are we actually saying? Some of it's good, but a lot of it's just trivia. It's just the filling of time. I've got to say something, so, okay, bro. Smiley. And there's nothing else there. We're filling our time. And we seem to be living busier lives and with that is this constant connectedness with technology. I was saying to someone the other day, how did we ever survive without these phones? I know I was less busy. Because I never seem to stop working now. I'm always connected 24-7 unless you switch it on flight mode. Which I do when I go to bed. But otherwise, you seem to be doing things all the time. Your work never stops. You keep referring to this email, which in the old days you would have done maybe later, when you got to your big PC on your desk at work. Now I can, might as well just do it now. And so we're increasing our work. And we never stop. And yet, we're so connected that we're less connected to meaningful relationships. Again, I see a lot of backpackers come through my establishment and I'll have a whole room full of people sitting there and no one's speaking to anyone. They're all just on here. And maybe it's something to do with uh, you can have as much Wi-Fi, high speed as you want, bro. Free! I think that's probably half of it. But, but no one's speaking to anyone. So I kind of come in saying, Hi, I'm Kelvin. Pleased to meet you. Yeah. And they go on. Someone has described this as a desert of multimedia islands. When you walk around, you see this desert of multimedia islands. And in the middle is this person with a cell phone. All connected, but disconnected. Even our eating habits have got faster. And again, the researchers tell us, and who does this anyway for a degree? Um, They sit there monitoring the way people eat at fast food places. And... How long they stay, there's the first bit of research, and they've noticed that people come in for much shorter periods of time and, they, and then they're gone. Whereas they used to go to the diner and sit there for the night and then kind of go home. It's no good TV, you see. And the other thing they notice is that people are eating faster and faster. They're gobbling their food and then getting out. Now if you're feeling ill at ease, it's good. And so, instead of chewing their food over slowly and enjoying the meal, they're gulping it down in big gulpfuls. One burger, two burger. And so what's happening with all this? There's an increase in indigestion-related illnesses. People are becoming bloated. And population is gaining weight. And I'm not saying those are always connected. There's a key word I want us to learn today. It's a whole brand new word. And it's not even a theological term. I sound like Dave Testard now. Disambiguation. You all got that one? Disambiguation. It's what your mother would tell you. And I know my mother told me. Chew your food. Don't eat so fast. Disambiguate your food. That's all it is. Chew. Masticate your food. There's a good reason for that though. It's good wisdom. Why? Because when the teeth are chewing the food, it's spreading the, it's making the area of the food bigger. And so that helps with the whole enzymes breaking down everything, blah, 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 blah. And so 
chew your food is a healthy thing. But you see what happens is we give our stomachs work that our teeth were intended to perform. I'll come to my point though. You'll just bear with me. And so food not properly chewed leads to bloating, digestive systems that slow down and so people become sick. And once again, what do we do? Haul out the pills and take them. And that's why I said we need to meditate, not medicate. Because there is a solution in there. You see, that same hurriedness has flowed over into our spiritual lives. You want your instant coffee? When? Now. No time to brew things, brew, bro. (laughs) Arthur Pink, who's a famous dead guy, said this. He said, The majority of Christians are offenders in this regard. They have never learned to use their spiritual teeth. We're just gulping everything down. And so how do we do that? We either take in two large bites of Scripture, and so we read through chapters on chapters, because that's what it says in my Bible plan. Now, that's, I'll come to the advantages as well. So they, they read through chapters and chapters, but without reflection. I've done it. Tick. Or they pick at the food. Just a little verse, but without reflection. And there's the key word. Without reflection. There's no time to reflect, you see. There's no time to ponder or meditate on. Sorry, my schedule doesn't allow for it. I've got to get to work. And so what do we end with? There's no time to chew over. There's no time to meditate on God's Word. There's no time to think about His actions in my life. There's no time to allow the nutrients of the truth from His Word to affect my thinking, to affect the way my soul works. And we end up with running on two to five minute gulps of Bible verses, which are forgotten within minutes of reading. I'm not the only one. I know. And what's the result of that? We constantly run on my spiritual reserve tank. I keep running on empty. Now, my wife was guilty of this when we were students. She would run her car on E for enough. The longest I've seen someone stretch a tank. And I ended up pushing that car several times, which I remind her of, and I'm again reminding her publicly of. But it's this whole thing, I don't have time, it's just $10, and maybe as students you only had $10, but $10 and there you go. Always on E for empty. That's where we run in our spiritual lives too. I just put in enough to keep my spiritual tanks running. But if any crisis suddenly hits my life, I've got nothing to fall back on. And the car stalls. It can't go anywhere. I'm empty. I'm disillusioned. Where's God in my life? We're running on empty. There's been no time to turn over God's Word. There's no time to fill up my tank properly with His Word. There's no depth of truth guiding my life. And also, by the way, that's why we can't remember Scripture passages. I can't remember Scripture. Why? It's because I haven't mulled over them enough. Said them over and over to myself. John Piper has a rule. When he gets to new verses, and he's been preaching for 50 years, I know. He reads everything through 10 times and then reads them through for himself 10 times again to try and memorize them. His 10-10 rule, he calls it. To help himself. 
But you see, that gives you time to ponder over and to examine God's Word from various directions so that the juices of that Word can be extracted. That's what it's about. There's just no time. So let's look at what Scripture says about meditate. The word meditate in Scripture. We see in Scripture it's often used in conjunction with prayer. Prayer and meditation. It's that time where Jesus went apart from His disciples. He would go and sit on a hillside and He would pray. And part of praying is to meditate on what God's been doing and putting that before the Lord. And then listening to what God has to say in response. But let's just look at the word meditate. Psalm 1 verse 1 to 2 we read already. Lord, I want to meditate on Your Word, Your precepts, Your commands. Psalm 119, verses 15 to 16. I will meditate on Your precepts and fix my eyes on Your ways. Note this. I will meditate on Your precepts. In other words, my heart will be convinced by Your Word because I've meditated on those precepts. And then I will fix my eyes on Your ways. And when my heart has been convinced, it will correct my actions. Linked. The verse carries on. I will delight in your statutes. You see, when we've been reading God's word, it will affect our hearts. It will become our treasure. His word becomes our delight. And when it becomes your delight, says the verse, I will not forget your word. How can you forget something you love? When we've been reading His Word, it becomes part of our souls. Our souls will delight in that because that's how they're designed. And we won't forget that Word. Now, just way off tangent now, not really. Isaac in the Old Testament, that's another term where the word meditate is used. It's more of an Eastern mindset thing in the, in the world there, that Isaac lived in, uh, camels camping out, uh, deserts, vast spaces, the Eastern mindset, and you speak to anyone from the East, they're very much more used to meditation as a way of life, thinking slowly through things. And so that's why you'll see groups of old people, especially if you go travelling through Singapore and Hong Kong, you'll see all these older people standing around and they do Tai Chi, slow movements. Everything is much more slow down. Now, I'm not saying go into all that philosophy and everything. I'm saying they're just slower than us. They know how to meditate. It's not a foreign concept to them. I was speaking to a Korean pastor this past week. He says meditating is not foreign to us as Koreans. We know what it is. To you Westerners, you've forgotten what meditation is. But you see, Isaac went out into the fields to meditate. And as he was meditating, he saw these camels coming along and on them was a bride. Now, I'm not drawing any correlations here. Unmarried men, I'm not saying go out into a field and when you pray and meditate, God will give you a bride on a camel or on a Harley Davidson or whatever. It's not what it says here. But he used his time to meditate and then God answered as well. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says this, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now that little word stayed is an interesting word. It's a stay pole in a tent. It's a pole that keeps the tent up and there are ropes 
anchoring it to the ground. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. You see, my mind is grounded in God because I've been thinking about him and his word. That's why it's so important to meditate. So these are biblical ways of using the word meditate. Another one, verse 9 of that same chapter in Isaiah. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. See what happens when we are grounded in God's word, when we meditate on it? My soul yearns for you. It wants to know more. My spirit, even in the middle of the night, will earnestly long for you. You wanting spiritual revival? Then meditate on God's word. The rest will come as he gives it to you. Psalm 119, verse 48. Listen to what it says. Psalm 119, verse 48. I will lift my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Alright? I will lift my hands towards your commandments. What is this all about? I will give honor to you where honor is due. I will lift my hands to your commandments. I will serve you, Lord. So that's another way that we look at God's Word. And when we do that, we will meditate on His commands. And then a New Testament reference, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, says this. Philippians 4, verse 8. I'm going to read from verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You can't do what that was just described there if you haven't meditated on what you are doing. The verse carries on. And if you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You will be stayed in God again. That's why we meditate. Or why we should meditate. Now, how do we meditate? And I'm going to give you, I'm going to be as practical as I can with you, so you must just follow with me over here. We're going to actually take Psalm 23, verse 4. Now, I know you all know the verse. Alright? And if you don't know it, here it is. And I've chosen this verse, so you don't have to worry about, oh, I don't know this, so where's it going to go? You all know this verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Alright, that's where we're going. So you can relax now. Now, what do we do with this? How do we meditate on just this one verse? Do I have to go to the internet and go and read up all the blogs and all the internet sites and all the books that the shops have got on how to meditate and then I'll be able to do this? No. Save your money. Do I have to sit in a specific posture to meditate? Now, these things can be helpful, but do you have to sit cross-legged in the lotus position and meditate? No. That's not what Scripture says. Do you have to lie on your back and so relax? Well, I wouldn't do that because I know what happens to me. (laughs) I'll just sleep. So no, I wouldn't do that either. The biggest thing here is how to meditate is isolate your time and give yourself time. Isolate yourself and give yourself time. 
Now, now I'm speaking in 2018 with everything that has to happen, and I'm, it's December. I know. But isolate yourself and give yourself time. That's what's most important. And then take in the Word of God. Don't empty your mind, as Eastern mysticism calls for. You see, Scripture says you must fill your mind with something, not empty it. Fill your mind with the things of Christ. Fill your mind with the Word of God. Don't empty it. You're going to get the wrong thoughts coming in there. Yoga wants you to empty your mind. Transcendental meditation wants you to empty your mind. But Scripture says fill your mind. It's the complete opposite. And then chew on the Word of God. Look up the context of this verse. Look up the phrases and the words. Look at the specific phrases and words used. What is their intent and meaning? Ask questions of the phrase and the words. And then ask yourself the so what questions. How do I do anything with this? And then swallow that food. Swallow it. You've taken it you've chewed on it, now swallow it, mull over it. Allow it to become part of your thinking and your actions. And then digest it. Be invigorated and inspired by the Holy Spirit as He uses that verse in your life. And then tell someone about it. So that's in summary what we do. Now let's get to Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Take it in. Now, let's chew on it together. How do we chew on it? Well, if you've got a study Bible, it helps just to get the context of when this was written. I'm not going to go into it all today, so you can relax. Not too much, though. So if you go and look at the background of these, written most probably by David, and he could have written it at any time in his life, when he was younger, but most probably when he was older, and he'd been chased around by his enemies. And he remembers his time when he was a shepherd boy, and he had to keep his sheep he had to keep wolves and thieves from his sheep. And so he came up against people who wanted to kill him or injure him or animals that wanted to tear him to pieces. And so he remembers those days, but he also remembers that Saul was chasing him around to kill him. And so he writes the psalm, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So I mull over this verse. I've got the background from my study Bible. If there are any words or phrases which are unknown, look them up at the stage. And then look at each word and each expression and use your scripture cross-reference if you've got one in your Bible. Now, I've put a picture up here for you. So in my Bible specifically, there's the verse. Here's the cross-reference. And if you don't know how to use that, it's got the verse, verse 4. It's got a little letter K, so you look for the letter K, even though I walk. And then you look up that verse. And it will give you a little bit more information about where else that verse, that word or that phrase is used. All right? So that's how you use that cross-reference. I'm just telling those who don't know this yet. Okay. And so I go to the Bible and I see what those cross-references says. And then I also read my footnotes. If there's a number one or two and it refers to the bottom of your Bible, the bottom of the page, you go look what it says there and we'll come to that as well. So let's look at this phrase. Even though I walk... So this is how I'd meditate on it. It doesn't say, I will walk through the valley of death. It says, even though I walk. See, if it, if it said, I will walk through the valley of death, it makes Scripture inaccurate. Why? Because Scripture says, some of us might not taste death, the Lord will come before that. So even in those intricate details, the Psalms are accurate. So it says, even though I walk, 
Corinthians says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow. When I look at my cross reference, this word walk is a reference to Psalm 138, verse 7 to 8. Alright, there it is. So when we go and read it, this is what it says to illustrate. Psalm 138, verse 7 to 8. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. Look at it, verse 8. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Now there's so much more depth for me to that word walk. It's God's purposes maybe for me. And God will be with me. His love, His steadfast love will be with me. And so when I walk, I know those truths now. And it speaks about walking. There's no crawling through the valley of the shadow of death. There's no running through this valley of the shadow of death. I walk through it. It speaks about a steady walk because I know who's allowing me to walk here. I know who is walking with me. I can walk through that valley of the shadow. I don't have to run. There's no franticness here. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You see in the Bible, valleys usually are associated with pleasantness with protected travel, with fertility and with beauty. Windy ridges are, if, you know, if you're a walker, a tramper, you'll know, if you go up into the ridges, that's where the wind buffets you, where it's harder. It doesn't speak here of walking along the ridge of death. It speaks about the valley of death. Well, why is that? It's the antithesis of mountain, you see. Death is here described to us not as arduous and hazardous. It's going through the valley of the shadow of death. There's a lot of truth there. You see, if you look at your footnote, footnote one in my Bible, it says this is also described as the valley of deep darkness, not the valley of the shadow of death, but also the valley of deep darkness. Ah, so that adds a bit more slant on it. So should I as a believer die when I enter the valley of death? It will be as a temporary shadow to me. In the twinkling of an eye, says Corinthians, I'll be changed and death will be over. I walk through that valley of the shadow of death. I don't know if you remember as children. Now we were boys, six boys. Boys. Now I'm not saying girls shouldn't, but boys should not be afraid of shadows. And all six of us were. And I remember the one instance we went into the house, it was all dark because we were outside barbecuing and we went into the house and as one man, we went into one room and we all came running out and screaming like little babies because we'd seen a shadow. This was a shadow of a cat, but it was a shadow. <laughs> was that thing real? Was that shadow real? No. As soon as you get close to that shadow, the shadow disappears and you see the reality of things. A shadow is a harmless thing. But to us, it looks massive. See, shadows aren't real. They disappear when you get close to them. A shadow is the most harmless thing there is. Death is but a shadow, says this verse. You walk in the valley of the shadow of death. When you're in there with the Lord, when I get close to that shadow of death, it disappears and I'm through it in the twinkling of an eye. Beautiful truth, isn't it? So that's how we meditate on God's Word. Now this has taken us longer than five minutes. I'm sure you wouldn't note it. 
Our verse says, I will fear no evil. Now, let's ask this section of the verse a question. Why? I will fear no evil. Why will I fear no evil? Well, where's the answer? You see, our usual reaction to, to evil or facing death or times of darkness is what? Fear. So when I face that cancer or I face that major surgery in my life or when I face that death of a loved one or when I face, face financial hardship or strife, my usual human reaction is fear. But the Bible says I will fear no evil when I go through the valley of darkness. Why is that? There's various reasons, you see. Let's look at a further aspect of this. If you look at the cross note or the reference note, Psalm 3 verse 6, it speaks there about fearing people. I will fear the crowds of people, people who want to do me harm. You see, part of our fear today could also be abusive partners, bullies at work, and you get them, that boss, bullies at school or at uni, or maybe you've had a patched member move into you next door and you wonder how's things, how things are going to go for us here. Patched guys, we love you too. Or you look around you at the news and you think, where's society going? I'm, I'm fearful of this. What's it going to be like for my children? You see, the Lord says, I will fear no evil. Why is that? It's because, the verse carries on, you are with me. Who? I'm asking questions of the verse. Who is with me? My great shepherd, Jesus Christ. The one who is walking beside me through this valley. The one who is protecting me with his rod and is guiding me with his shepherd's staff, lest I stray. He's walking with me. Who is this one? If you look at your cross-reference again, Exodus 3 verse 12, an Old Testament one. Who is this? It refers here to the, the same God who said to Moses, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Who said to Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Who said to the Jewish people when they set out to leave to the promised land, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the same God who works, walks with you through that valley of the shadow of death, the great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ. I will never leave you nor forsake you, even though you walk through deep darkness. I will be with you. Now, that was looking at the verse. What do I do with this now? Come on. I swallow it. You take it in. You mull over it. You allow it to become part of your thinking and your actions. You write it out on a slip of paper and you start memorizing it and you put it in your pocket. I didn't say on your cell phone. Please note. Watch my lips. Piece of paper. Write it out. Put it in your pocket. Why? Lunchtime, smoker, what's going to happen? You're going to get out there to lunchtime and what are you going to do? You're going to haul out your cell phone and look up stuff and everything that's been happening in the world, BBC News. No, no, no. You keep your cell phone in your pocket and you haul out your piece of paper and you read it over again and you think about what you've been thinking through as you looked at it this morning. And you know what? Your colleague is going to come along there and they're going to say, hey, bro, what are you so deep in thought of? And you say, hey, I need to share with you an amazing verse that I had. Even though I face death, it's just a shadow, man. Hey? I face real death, bro. No. It's real, but it's a shadow. Why? Because of Jesus. What does Jesus do for you, bro? He saves me. He takes my soul. 
from darkness to light. And then, when I'm going through the hard stuff of life, Jesus is right there with me. I can share it with Him. And He helps me through the stuff, bro. And He can do it for you too. And that's when you invite that person. Spend some time. Let's do morning tea again tomorrow. And I'll tell you the next verse that I've got. You see, it is taking it in and swallowing it and allowing it to become part of your life. And then you digest it and the truth of that verse hits home and you'll be driving your car and you might go past a road accident and you think, if I was in there, Christ would be there with me. And those things start hitting home to you and soon you will know that your fear will disappear and your circumstances might stay the same, but your level of fear will no longer be there because Jesus Christ is with you and His Word is mulling over in your mind and it's so impacting your life that it's become real. And it's applicable in a real life situation. He is your deliverer. He becomes precious to you. And when your colleagues ask you, you tell them, I want to tell you about a precious Savior that I have. So what's the problem? What do we have to do? It's not hard, and it is hard. Make time. Make time. Set yourself apart. I want to put it this way. Take your time back from the Grinch who steals your time. Take it back. Because something is stealing your time. If it's your bad time management, it's your fault. But take your time back. Manage yourself better. Take your time back. Make time for reading God's Word. Make time for thinking over it, meditating it. You've got the whole day and night to do it, says the Bible. 24 hours. And yes, you've got to go to work tomorrow and be fresh and give your... your, your um, Boss, the time that he deserves because he's paying to your life. Otherwise, you're going to be giving him a life that's running on reserve. And that's not fair to him either. And you know the bonus of spending time in God's Word is every new day is a new verse. New treasure I can dig down and go and look at. It's, you see, God's Word is an endless mine of treasures. If only we would slow down to lessen a blur and dig deep. And then the last thing, take small bites. Yes, there's a place for large chunks of Scripture. If you want to understand Romans carefully, you need to read through the whole book of Romans in one sitting. So you need about two and a half, half hours. All right? Read through the whole of Romans. Why? So you can follow his line of argument. Because if you read it in sections, you're going to lose it with Paul. You need to read that whole letter and then you'll get it. So there's a place for big chunks. But read small chunks every day. Small bites. And disambiguate it. Chew over it. Masticate on it. Until it becomes yours. Ponder on it. May it be turned into spiritual fuel inside you. And we want to see that needle go to F for full. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? So that I may not sin against thee in practice. You see, God's word, when we meditate on it and it becomes ours, it regulates and guides our lives in practice. And my walk 
will be energized by the dynamo and the energy of the Holy Spirit as He puts that word into practice in my life. I'll be running on spiritual energy in my physical life. And I'll be able to run again on full. And my life will glorify God. And people around will see Jesus because I have spent time with God's Word and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, help us to slow down. Help us to do what's right with Your Word. May we spend more time with the Creator of the universe, communing with You in prayer, spending time in Your Word so that You take that Word and turn it into spiritual fuel so that we can reach others too. Lord, may Your Word become real to us. And as we enjoy those nuggets of truth which feed us, may we give all glory back to You, our great Saviour, the Shepherd who walks alongside us. And Lord, when we go through hard times in our life, when we walk through the shadow of darkness, the valley of the shadow of darkness, Lord, we know that you are with us. And that testimony will speak out to the world when they look at us and they see a calmness and a peace which is over us when we should be frantic, as they would be. May we speak to the world through that calmness and say, Jesus is in my life. He has calmed the storms and the waves and the winds. He is in the boat and I am with him. May we have a public testimony of Jesus Christ in our lives. And others will hear and come to Jesus Christ and be saved. Use us, we pray. Amen.